Welcome back to the Investing on the Go podcast hosted by Fund Caliber. According to Bloomberg, just 14% of fund managers are women, a figure that has stayed the same since the year 2000. But why does this imbalance persist more than two decades later? To mark both Careers Week here in the UK and International Women's Day on the 8th of March, we tackled this question and more in part one of our Women's Day special. We've gathered five female guests from the industry to get their views on finance as a career and diversity and fund management. We're joined today by Alexandra Jackson, manager of Rathbone UK Opportunities, Deidre Cooper, co-manager of 91 Global Environment, Kirsty Gibson, co-manager of Bailey Gifford American, Sophia Lee, co-manager of FSSA Japan Focus, and Tessa Wong, product specialist on Allianz China A-Shares, hosted today by Fund Caliber's Sam Slater. So a couple of years ago, there was a piece of research that came out from Morningstar, I think, and it basically showed that there were more fund managers named Dave than there are female fund managers. Deirdre, perhaps if you could start us off, do you think that's the case today or are more women coming through into fund management? Look, I think it's still a woefully small amount. Um, So I'm on the advisory board of an organization called Girls Who Invest. Um, And our mission, it's a US-based organization that uh, um, organizes internships effectively for young women in asset management in order to build a pipeline to explain to young women that this can be a really exciting, fulfilling um, career. Um, And the, the mission of Girls Who Invest is to increase the percentage of the world's capital that's run by women to 30% um, by 2030. And we on the board have very regular, in fact, we just had one at our last meeting. No, why do we do 30? Shouldn't we, shouldn't women are, you know, half of the world's population. Why are we going to target 30 by 2030? Um, and, and the answer is that it's it's sort of less than 10 today. So 30 by 2030 doesn't feel like, um, you know, a sort of shabby goal. In fact, it's it's probably more of a stretch goal. Um, having said that, um, do I think it's probably a little getting better? Yeah, I think it absolutely is. I mean, I don't know if Alec have, have anything to add to that. Yeah, we definitely see more women coming into the sustainability area, which is really interesting. And I wonder if it's something to do with that having, you know, a more kind of overt social purpose, which perhaps is more um, appealing to, to women, maybe. Um, I do think as an industry, we've, you know, we forgot to, to kind of explain the societal value is the industry as a whole. Um, and maybe that has something to do with it, you know, a hangover from kind of 2008. Um even if we get more women in through the pipeline, though, we have to somehow make sure that those women want to stay, you know, during the danger years, the 30s and 40s. Uh, and I still haven't seen too many policies that kind of openly address that and have a, a sensible conversation about it. And Sophia, do you think that that statistic is similar in Asia or are you seeing more women coming through in the industry there? Um, I think uh, just by looking at the statistics, uh, it is quite in line with uh, the ethnical the evidence. Uh, which I see in Hong Kong, Singapore, as well as Japan. In fact, the female founder manager ratio in both Hong Kong and Singapore is much higher than the global average. Actually, it's between 20 and 30%, while I think the global average is about 14%. But on the other hand, in Japan, uh, the ratio is extremely low, which is unsurprising. Uh, it's in line with their female manager or executive female executive ratio is only less than 5%. Um, on the other hand, at, uh, for the uh, overall investment team, the female analyst ratio is much higher. But I think it's, uh, overall, it's still a global phenomenon that the female fund manager ratio is still way lower than many other industries. And Kirsty, do you want to add something there? 
I think for me that the Dave stat sort of speaks to a broader point, which is that we need more diversity in general in this sector. It's not just about women. It's also about the fact that um, we've got, you know, in the UK anyway, we've had a predominance of white males who have been Oxbridge educated and it's breaking that mould as well. So it's saying what we really need is diversity of thought and diversity of thought comes from different backgrounds and it comes from different social economic backgrounds, it comes from different genders, it comes from different races. And that is what we really need to push for in this industry. And so I don't think we can push for one thing in isolation to the rest. The industry needs to just be more open to this idea of diversity of thought. And if we get to that point, I just think we will have more people interested in applying for this role because it's an extremely fulfilling career, an extremely interesting career, but you need to get people over that initial hurdle of, well, is this the career for me? So that's interesting. Why do you think the number is so low then? Given it's such an interesting career, is fund management just not of interest to women for whatever reason? Um, Tessa, maybe you can give us your views from a product specialist point of view. Sure. Um, I, I guess it, it drives back to the nature of the role of the fund managers. Well, I, I am not a fund manager, I'm a product specialist, but I, I can see that a portfolio manager, um, the, the kind of their job is very technical. I can guess maybe for some women, um, they may not enjoy as much as um, the others. They may have other priorities in life that probably uh, they may they may not enjoy this role. But um, I think fundamentally, it, it doesn't really matter to whether it's a female or male. It's more related to the personality uh, that I think to 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 be explaining of the of that. In general, I think I agree with Tessa that personality play a lot of role uh, in uh, behind. And personally, I also feel uh, that this job needs a lot of both mental and physical re- resilience. I before COVID, I travel a lot, and which is physically very tired. And I think because for women, they tend to, you know, take care of the family and have more child care responsibilities. So that's a problem. So in terms of hours and travel. And then, but I want to point it out that um, uh, having said all of this, that, uh, all of this uh, when I try to find the reasons behind, and if I look at the difference, say, between Thailand and Japan or other Western countries, I think uh, one reason that I can think about is that, uh, you know, in China, the history of the financial services is relatively short. That probably implies lack of stereotypes or the lack of so-called boy clubs culture in which women feel kind of excluded. And uh, usually the male superiors maybe try to find people who look or seem uh, like themselves. So, so actually, when I talk to certain corporates in Japan, like the largest recruitment firm called Recruit Holdings, they clearly pointed out that's a key problem and they try to uh, sort it out. But I think just more broadly, and I think it's something that I often notice, and I'm sure you guys do, as you talk to, to young women at universities who are thinking about a career in finance, I think there isn't a great deal of understanding as to what investment management actually looks like. You know, I think the, the the how it's portrayed in the media is sort of people shouting into phones telling people to buy and sell things, um, which is really not what it's like. And the characterization of the type of people that work in the industry is very sort of alpha, um, uh, extroverted types, whereas in actual fact, as we know, much of our industry, you know, we're, we're sort of proud nerds. We spend a lot of time reading and researching and trying to understand problems um, and that's a sort of very quiet um, type of a task. 
And do you think that the pandemic has changed the opportunities for the better um, in terms of attracting more women or people from other backgrounds in that if we do maintain a more flexible working structure and meetings can be done over Zoom, then actually the role is practically easier and may appeal to more women? I think a flexible working hours is definitely very helpful. In fact, it is one of the key measures introduced by uh, most of Japanese corporates uh, to maintain and develop female uh, talents. I think uh, personally, I feel that right now, uh, because of that, I can take uh, advantage of fragmented time um, to work on certain stuff like during the evening time, etc. And of course, after the pandemic, maybe people prefer to go back to the office or you know see companies on the ground. But on the other hand, I think it's it already become sort of like a consensus, uh, especially in Japan, that you know people can choose to go to office say three or four days out of seven. And for large companies like Yahoo Japan, they actually now uh, announced that they are going to reimburse all the flight tickets uh, for their employees, which means that they can work anywhere in the country and then go back to office only when they need them to be there. Yes, we have to travel. But to a large extent, particularly as a, as a listed equity rather than a private equity investor, your schedule is your own. Um, you, can, you can work around um, you know, other, other commitments. There's a, there's a lot of your work that, that could, have been done, could have been done from home. So it's a very attractive career you know, for, for someone that, that really wants to manage their life as well as their job. I'm not sure that the pandemic changes the fact that like to the points that the the other ladies have made that one of the things that's amazing about this job is that you can sort of geek out on certain topics and spend ages looking at things and like you we we all probably want to get back out doing a little bit of traveling it's finding that balance of being able to travel but also being able to spend time with your kids and I think that one of the things that I think has changed in my mind from the pandemic is just an acceptance of I know that I am doing enough work I know that I am doing the necessary work to do my job. And if that means that I need to go home because I need to see my children and then I'll just do a bit more work afterwards and that's what I'm going to do. I don't, I, I don't feel, I think I feel I finally reached a point where I'm like, I'm doing what I need to do. I don't, I don't, I don't really care if someone else thinks, well, why is she going home at this time? Because I know I'm getting my work done. And I think that that's maybe a mindset that shifted for me. I think compared to UK and many other countries in the world, Hong Kong has the luxury of having a lot of support in, in the family. Um, and it's always a dynamic to working parents like myself to balance between work and family. But I guess Hong Kong is a small city. Um, my parents or my parents-in-law can come to take care of my kid. Uh, we can also hire foreign domestic helpers. So um, I think even before the pandemic, Actually, um, I don't see it as a very um, difficult situation compared to some of my friends living in UK. Um, they, they, they may find it more difficult because they don't have a par uh, parents in UK uh, to help take care of the children. I've got this sneaking suspicion that, you know, in a year's time, we'll all be back um, three, four, five days a week in the office. Um, and it will be led by the people for whom that is an easy ask. So I'm not convinced this is, uh, you know, a kind of uh, an easy win. Um, you're right, though. The evidence is there that this job can be done flexibly from home. 
And that's what's such a good thing about this industry is that the output isn't, as you say, it's not the hours that you put in. The output is your track record and the and the returns that you generate over the long term. And, you know, that is something I think that women can really get behind. I do think that that's a point worth picking up because the the, the track record point is, is an issue if you take maternity. Um, and that's a big question that I think we, we need to approach as an industry. You know, so, for example, when, when men in the industry talk to me, what can I do to further diversity? I would say, well, then you, you should take paternity leave. Because as soon as um, you get to the point where gender really doesn't matter in terms of who's going to have that gap in the middle of their in, in the middle of their career, in the middle of their track record. I think that will make a huge difference in terms of building you know, a much broader base of female fund managers who are the actual decision makers and risk takers. I think there's a point to that as well, that, you know, I manage money as a team. And so I have been taken time off from maternity leave, but it's not affected my track record because I am a member of that team. I think that's another way which definitely helps open the door for anyone or everyone who needs to take leave for whatever reason, whether you be male or female, is the fact that there is no longer the necessary need to have a break in your career. It's not a break. I think one of the hardest things is probably managing a, a fund on your own. Like this job is psychologically difficult because when you're doing well, you're paranoid, you're not, it's not going to continue. And when you're doing badly, you're paranoid, it's going to continue for forever. So actually managing money as a team helps with some of the psychological challenges of actually existing in this industry as well. I feel like you're inside my brain. <laughs> I think there is, a, you know, and as an industry, we do seem to want to move away from the reliance on, you know, single star managers, which is super for many reasons, you know, for kind of risk management as well as um, track record. I do wonder, though, if as an industry, we could just agree that, you know, if, even if you do run money alone, if you're the only name manager, then, you know, if you take six months out of a potentially 40 year career, potentially that does not have to. Um, cause a massive break in your performance track record. That seems quite short-sighted given, you know, we are all about the long term. We talked earlier about the personality of a fund manager being more significant than gender. And one thing we've been talking about internally has been sort of the stereotype of a woman um, on an investment team where it's assumed that they're less risky, they're more cautious, and they bring that sort of attitude to the team but actually our own Juliet Scalling Latter who's our research director she takes the most risk out of all of our research analysts so how do you find that personally? Uh, in, uh, in overall I think women including myself probably tend to uh, be less confident and as a result we probably do uh, more research and we probably ask more questions and, uh, and unfortunately sometimes we probably pull ourselves back uh, rather than leaning, which is a quote from Cheryl uh, Sandberg's uh, book, Lean, and I really like it. So I, so in that sense, that I always encourage myself um, actually to be more positive and to be uh, more confident. Yeah. I also agree with Sophia that we, we tend to think more. Uh, we tend to think uh, in more perspectives, uh, not only in just one direction, we, we tend to think about a different possibility. So um, sometimes it may make people feel that we are less confident. But I uh, sometimes I also think that it is not necessarily a bad thing um, uh, to think uh, one more step or to think one more layer. Um, it 
somehow can can help you to gain more conviction on the decisions that you make. So um, I, I guess this is something that is quite unique um, for most of the women. And um, that is something that I think can be quite um, can be appreciated by by investors as well. So I can't talk for everyone, but when when I was you know in my sort of late twenties, one of the challenges for me was going into a room and feeling like I deserve to be there, and feeling like I could say, you know, I am one of the fund managers of this team, and my voice is just as valuable as any of my other colleagues on this team. But when you go into a room that's um, that that's maybe dominated by males and you 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 start to get doubts in your head i guess from that perspective so for me i think confidence plays a role um i found more on the outward facing side of things i found it more challenging whereas within the team and within my my firm and the people i've got to know i think it's been less of a challenge i think it's as kirsty said it's very hard to generalize so there may be um and probably is just generally more imposter syndrome amongst senior women just across industries broadly, more feeling that I shouldn't be in this room, even though you're, you're probably the best, the best qualified person in the room. Um, but it's not, it's not true of everyone, um, you know, um, for, for every um, uh, sort of overly humble female CEO, you have an Elizabeth Holmes. Um, so, um, you know, you, you really can't generalize. The one thing we would say, I think, or I would say is that general cognitive diversity over the long term probably leads to better, um, risk adjusted return. Um, so that just means people who think about things differently, people who are different genders, different, come from different ethnicities, come from different socioeconomic backgrounds, you know, grew up in different education systems and you bring all those people together. I, I think you end up in the longer term, it takes you a bit longer to get there. It's probably a little bit more difficult, but you end up with better decisions, which is ultimately what we're all trying to do is make good decisions. And actually, if you look at all the research that I came across in the market, there's there's only research to show that female fund managers generate better returns than the average. And there's no research to show that the performance is the reason behind the lower female fund manager ratio. Um, I think uh, um, I am maybe less confident. Uh, sorry. So let me rephrase myself. Um, less confident. So it makes us uh, maybe a more cautious investors in terms of risk controls and that makes us more humble, which means that we don't mind asking questions anytime until we really figure it out. And how do we as an industry then go about getting more people to get that interest so that eventually we have a more diverse fund manager and analyst database? What, what do you think is needed? I think that broadening the pipeline thing is an interesting one as well, because I think a lot of this job you learn on the job so you don't have to have a specific degree and I mean maybe part of the solution is saying you know maybe you don't go to the careers fairs and advertise to the business students and the economic students you go to the business fairs and advertise to the biology students and the chemistry students and through that you often find or that in the art subjects you often find that there are a greater proportion of women studying those subjects than maybe some of these other subjects so maybe even in just the way that you target to look for graduate applicants 
can actually play a role here. I don't think that we will need to have an economics degree to be able to do this job. You know, I work with people who have a music degree and they are perfectly capable of doing this job. It really is a job that you learn so much on the job. And I think that by saying upfront, you have to have one of these following degrees, you are already limiting the pool of applicants that are going to apply for your role. You know, getting more people through the pipeline, you know, yeah, it's about, you know, making sure people know um, how fulfilling and how brilliant this career can be um, and, you know, what it means, why you would want to actually participate in this industry. I do think we've, you know, we've got a bit of a job to do there. Um, I hear a lot of people all the time saying, you know, yes, we've got these big targets, but it's really hard to fulfill them. Um, We just don't see the pipeline. I think that's quite, I think that's quite a lazy response. I think we can really widen the net. Maybe we're just not looking hard enough. Um, you don't need to lower the bar in order to find more women or more, um, more diverse candidates, as Kirsty made. It's a great point. Um, we can widen the net. That, that pipeline is, is definitely possible to, to increase. One of the things that we've spent time thinking about is how you were drop up job applications. So to Kirsty's point, you know, the industry is want to generalize. Uh, it's mostly Oxford educated white male. And without thinking about it, they will write a job description that is likely to attract Oxford educated white males. And there's lots of really interesting research, you know, which we've probably read on um, women will tend to look at a job application. And if there's two things, if there's a list of 10 things and there's two they don't have, they'll think, well, maybe I shouldn't apply. Men will say, well, I've just hit the first one, so clearly I can do this job. Um, There were words that are more likely to appeal to male candidates, words that are more likely to appeal to female candidates. Um, And I would say, you know, every firm in the industry wants to hire more diversity. Um, so so this is when, when you think about making these changes, you're definitely knocking at an open door. And the one piece of advice that I would always give people who come to me and say, you know, where am I going to get where I need great women from my team? I don't have enough. I need to find them is hire some great women because women want to work in diverse teams. So if you are a highly sort of homogenous group of people, then don't be surprised that, you know, when you interview candidates who come from a different background, whatever that may be be, whether it's ethnicity, whether it's sexual orientation, whether it's gender, they probably won't want to come and work for you. Whereas if you've already built those diverse teams, then then it's going to be a lot easier to attract those candidates. And we really believe both in our companies and actually in the asset management industry um, that those diverse teams will, will do better in the future, that the shape of the world is changing. Your, your investors, your clients, the company's customers are, are all going to look very, very different in five and 10 years time than they do today. And those companies that are set up with the kind of organizations to adapt to that will, will thrive in that environment. So I definitely would encourage more younger generation to join this industry. But in order to do that, I think it's really not enough. I think uh, the overall investment management uh, industries, as well as uh, our clients, uh, which are the institutions, we should also uh, try to make improvements to help them for because of the lack of a, um, a role models, right? Female role models in industry. I think the firms should provide more mentoring programs. I think the firms should also provide uh, better, uh, like in terms of better, like uh, measures like uh, uh, flexible working hours, etc. Uh, it's particularly in the years when uh, women particularly uh, need that. So in overall, I think uh, more efforts have to be made actually on our side. 
In part two of this series, we look at board diversity, the small number of female CEOs, and the role of asset management to further change.